Direction. Insight. Spin. Welcome to the Compass. You are listening to Rare FM, the one and only radio station of University College London. I'm Lucas Romansky, and this is The Compass. It's the program where we talk about the deeper issues in society. I want to begin by welcoming back all of our former Compass listeners. I ran this show for a few years on a radio station, WCWP, in my hometown in New York. And I'm hoping that perhaps some of my listeners from a couple years ago uh, might be joining us now. So if you are, thank you. And the compass is back, finally. But I am going to do things a little bit differently than I've done in the past. The radio show was always centered around a kind of multifaceted approach to political problems in which we kind of uh, would discuss some history some facts of politics, perhaps some philosophy, listen to music and try to synthesize something, a a solution or an idea together out of those components. And I think that's still a good approach and I still want to incorporate that into the broadcasts going forward. But I really want to use this show as an opportunity to discuss and sort of articulate political views and examine our beliefs and whether or not we are even justified in holding those beliefs. So I thought I'd start the new season with a topic of some controversy, which is abortion. Now, there might be immediate objections to me even running a, running a show on such a sensitive topic, particularly not because it's controversial. There are many things that are controversial I might decide to talk about but particularly because I am a male talk radio show host discussing what is often thought to be a kind of female or women's only issue. But I have to say I really reject that kind of approach and that kind of thinking, and that's really the sort of thing I want to steer away from on this program. I think it's a real mistake to start to disguise our views in identity politics. Our, our, our beliefs... Our arguments should withhold, irrespective of your cultural, political, or economic background. If it's the truth, it should just be the truth, and it should be articulatable as such, no matter if you're a man, woman, person of color, or of any other particular identity that might become relevant on the show. So I'll say for this particular issue, I don't pretend to relate to the struggles of needing to have an abortion or to have first-hand experience with women's reproductive health. But that does not mean, I think, that I'm not qualified to articulate a sensible argument on the subject and to dissect and analyze why we might come to the conclusions we do about abortion, whether you're convinced it's morally reprehensible or not. Whether you think that we should further our access in society to abortion, whether women should have more opportunities to seek such treatment, or you think that perhaps such treatment is in violation of your religion or your other political or philosophical beliefs. So to dive into the topic, I want to begin with what I think is the essential argument 
around the issue of abortion. It has two premises. I'll explain it to you very simply. The first is that killing a human being is wrong. The second is that a fetus is a human being, and the conclusion then follows that abortion, that is, killing a fetus, is morally wrong. So how do we, how do we challenge that perspective if we do think it's challengeable at all? While we reflect on this issue, I'd like to bring on a special guest to the program. Joining me now is Olivia Sawas. She's a Polish citizen with a degree in international studies from Leiden University. And she is currently in her master's program called Central and Eastern European, Russian, and Eurasian Studies. She's doing this at the University of Glasgow. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Compass, Olivia. Thank you so much for having me. So I want you to just give us some context because I imagine many of my listeners don't know very much about the political situation in Poland today. And so before we even get into the central issue of the show, which is abortion, I want you to just talk about the political dynamic in Poland. All right. So um, the, the, the political scene in Poland, it's a semi-presidential republic. We do have a multi-party system, but essentially we're looking at two main parties that kind of um, they interact with each other. And then there's there's some other parties holding seats, but they're not we're, they're not like on the front row of, of the whole political scene. So we're looking at a far right uh, Catholic conservative party law and justice or peace in Polish and we're looking at the civic platform PO which is a center right party uh, also with conservatives uh, conservatist values um, since 2015 peace or law and justice has been in power and with their Catholic values they've um, they, they've tried to put an abortion ban in in what it I, I believe 2018, which was met by a lot of criticism and um, a women's march that didn't go as international as, as this one did. Um, there has been some democratic backsliding, um, actually uh, very comparable to Hungary as well, where um, according to Freedom House, which grades the quality of democracies all over the world. Poland has stopped being a full free democracy, and that mostly has to do with the ju judiciary branch. So um, uh, law and justice likes to appoint their own judges, and that has cost us our own democracy. Now, um, in October, the peace tried again to put in a ban on abortion. Now, before Poland already had one of the strictest abortion laws of Poland, uh, of the world, I mean, of, of Europe. Um, and there, essentially, abortion was not allowed to go through in cases of rape, incest, a danger to the mother's health, or a fetal dis. Uh, formities and now that last one was also cut off so now abortion is only legal in the case of rape incest or a danger to the mother's health however the truth is that the last category uh fetal this this uh, the disformities was actually 98 percent of all the abortions happening in the first place so now basically um 
we're looking at a situation where practically practically abortion won't won't be possible for 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 most cases um and and that has been that's basically what's what's going on with abortion and there are many other issues that touch upon all of this as well which is what i what i said democratic backsliding and basically an entire church takeover of the country which is what i would like to call it some might disagree but i think the the issue uh, lies in in what the church wants to do with the country a lot So what exactly is the role that the Catholic Church plays in Polish society to, to today, and why does it play such a significant role? This is a very, very interesting topic that I think gets left out a lot of the times. A lot of the times we, we want to say, oh, you know, the Catholic Church, it, it, religion is... Evidently, uh, my interview that I conducted this afternoon has stopped playing. Uh, I suspect like there are some interesting uh, Wi-Fi issues here or connection problems. So while I'm trying to sort that out, uh, I would like to talk a little bit about exactly um, what we might do to the argument that I was presenting. Um, because I, I don't feel qualified myself to go into all the politics that Olivia did with me this afternoon. I'm not going to repeat it. Uh, and if um, and if I can't get it to work on this broadcast, then we'll definitely get it up and make it accessible to you in some other way. Um, it's just unfortunate that evidently, uh, evidently uh, it, the interview is not playing properly. Uh, it's always the way with first broadcasts and stuff. There are always technical problems which make them more difficult. In order to attack an argument like that, you need to basically attack either one of two areas. You need to attack the premises and try to show that they're wrong for some reason or another, or you need to attack that the conclusion follows from the premise. So let's review. Killing a human being is wrong. Killing a fetus is killing a human being. Abortion is wrong. I think the most common way to attack the argument, at least by political activists today, is to attack the second premise, the idea that killing a fetus is uh, killing a human being. The argument gets made essentially that, well, it's not. The fetus doesn't count as a person yet or as a human yet. Whatever your specific criteria is that you've developed, the fetus just doesn't count as that. So I actually want to attack that idea because I think that's really the wrong approach to this subject. I don't think that it actually holds water next to any real analysis. Let me explain. There's kind of a metaphysical problem here, a problem of continuity. Let's suppose you wanted to work under the hypothesis that essentially the fetus only becomes a person after some number of weeks or say after birth. You run into the issue that 
you can't simply argue that it's because that at that point, whatever that point may be, the fetus stops developing or the person stops growing. We're always growing, whether it's physically or emotionally, etc. There's always development within a human being. There's always change. So you can't simply say, oh, well, when the baby is born, that now the baby has stopped growing, and so therefore we're now justified in calling uh, him or her a human being, whereas before we weren't. It doesn't seem like there's any sensible sensible roadmap. There's no good cutoff. The problem is that development is continuous, and so it's kind of impossible to nail down exactly where it starts and where it stops, or rather it doesn't start and stop. And so there's sort of no... There's no way to know, like, at what point it becomes uh, the 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 fetus becomes a human being. You'd have to develop some kind of some kind of more concrete reason than just time. Also, because um, the fetus will develop different fetuses develop different things at different rates and different times, just like uh, just like infants develop differently, right? So you couldn't just say at a certain amount of time. That seems preposterous. But in order to salvage the hypothesis, what you could do potentially, is you could try to say, well, maybe what it is is not an amount of time, but a specific stage of development. So the fetus becomes marketably human when the fetus has a heartbeat, for example. And maybe there's some, there's some good reason to, to think that, or we could invent something. Now, the first initial problem, which I don't see any way of overcoming is how to justify that. So how to justify, well, you're a human being because you have a heartbeat or you're a human being because you have some particular feature. It seems that none of that really encapsulates what it means to be a human being. But even if you could, let's say, let's grant our, our interlocutor the, 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 the benefit that such a, such a hypothesis could be generated and granted, you still have bigger problems to deal with. For example... The actual, whatever attribute you determine to be your baseline measurement, that attribute itself is always in flux, is always in development. So again, you might think, well, it develops within a certain framework, or it develops within a certain general amount of time. There's a general trend, and yes, I'll acknowledge there are there are trends, you know, but there but there becomes a problem when we when we think that we can actually use those trends or 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 when we think that those trends indicate that the fetus is at a certain developmental stage i'm going to try again to bring the interview up because again i think it's unfortunate that uh, we were missing out let's see if we can we can bring it in in society so from a sociolo- sociological po- point of view if as a group, you feel you feel oppressed. You feel like your identity is being stepped on, and there is someone willing to fight for your identity, such as the Pope um, John Paul II. You will take that, and basically, you won't run with it. So, in the 1980s, the Pope was Polish, and he was banned from entering Poland because. Uh, the communists didn't, didn't didn't really want anything to do with that. So a lot of people saw him as kind of, you know, our savior. There wasn't just a, a religious aspect to it. There was there was there was a political aspect to it as well. And uh, gosh, from my own experience, I remember when uh, when 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 that pope died, 
uh, I I was um, I think I was eight at the time. Well, it was like the entire world ended. I cannot stress enough how much of a savior figure uh, this man was for Poland. So it was very much a um, it's a reaction to to what happened um, in the previous century. And that is why people respect the church so much. They see it as the liberator, which I think is very ironic because now we're seeing, um, I see them as an oppressor personally, as a woman. I think a lot of women would agree with me. So sort of a liberator um, turning, turning his back on us as an oppressor again. That's basically the role of the Catholic Church. A lot of people are, um, I, th- I think the the numbers are ninety ninety one percent of Poland is Catholic. I personally am not. I wasn't raised with those values, but the church is it's it's so present in our country. It's it's everywhere. There isn't a thing as going to school and not being taught about religion. And it's not just religion. It's, it's going to be Catholicism. You're not going to be taught about any other religion at all. You, you're basically, I, I don't want to call it brainwashing because that's such a strong word, but you can't go around it. Basically, even me coming from an atheist country, you, you're, you're going to be raised Catholic at school if you want to or not. So yeah, we sh- um, basically what I'm trying to say is we shouldn't, forget we shouldn't um look past the role of the church in in the country today and its connection to politics you've spoken a bit about democratic values and you've now talked to us about the church's influence on the um the the political scene in poland so let's talk about um, the justification for a moment. We'll return to this later after I ask you about some of your um, your experiences as a political activist. But um, for the time being, let's talk about the justification uh, for um, for for making abortions illegal, for taking away a woman's right to choose, and how it's mm-hmm. associated with democratic values. If we take democracy in a very simplistic, uh, majoritistic form, and we basically take democratic principles to be something uh, like um, if 10 people are in a room and seven people uh, want to have the lights on and three people want to have the lights off, we ought to keep the lights on. That's some, some vague democratic ideal, let's say. What I'm driving at is that if... Catholics generally are justified in their belief that abortion is is wrong, that is, that it's compatible with their faith. It's what their faith actually does teach. And you live in a country that's vastly, vastly Catholic. Doesn't it seem in line with democratic principles to pass legislation forbidding abortion? Doesn't that seem like it's what the majority wants? Is it the case that in order to protect democratic values, you think we need to allow for abortion? So that is to say, this is some kind of bedrock. This is some kind of bedrock issue that needs to be always allowed for. Otherwise, democracy is somehow prevented. Or do you think there's another reason why the majority should be overridden? Or is it simply just that it's wrong to think that there's a majority who um, oppose abortion? In Poland, 
Yeah. So what I what I think um, wh- what you're talking about and what I'm talking about is different issues because your idea is that uh, you know nine out of ten people in Poland are Catholics, therefore nine out of ten people op- oppose uh, or I or support this anti-abortion law. However, the truth is that a lot of people present at the protest and a lot of Catholics that I know um, oppose the law because the democratic backsliding, again, is not just this law. It has, uh, it's mostly been in the scene of the judiciary branch. So as I said before, I think the ruling party likes to appoint its own judges and let go of more liberal um, judges. So essentially for a lot of people that were present at the protest, not everyone, but a lot of them, they're not saying I'm here because I'm a liberal and I want a liberal Poland. They are saying this is going a step too far. And I think this is the reason why the protest became so big is the 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 process of democratic backsliding and the process of uh, the of abolishing secularism in Poland to the point where it was present to, to begin with, but okay, it's just been going a step too far. And what I think is also interesting um, that isn't talked about, or at least I don't get to talk about a lot, is that in a sense, we're speaking out of a Catholic country that did have an abortion law to begin with and still has. I mean, if you completely oppose abortions, then why do you still agree that in the case of rape or incest or danger to the mother's health, you will still allow for an abortion? You know? I see what you're saying. So so would it be more accurate then to characterize the perspective of people who are attending these demonstrations generally speaking, as sort of the perspective that although they may or may not think abortion is wrong in a number of cases, they have their own personal values about about the issue of abortion, that they just yes. think that, the, that the, the Polish government today has just taken this extreme step that the government simply shouldn't have the authority to, ha- to do. Yes, I, th- I think a lot of people are basically getting sick of it. So um, the most positive thing that I, I got out of attending the protests or following the protests is that many times there were a lot of men present at these, usually, I mean, generally speaking, at abortion um, rights protests, the majority of the attendees will be women. And uh, looking at social media, for example, just people that I know uh, you know, cousins, my mom's male friends, just anyone that that I've been hearing talk about this. To me, it, it these were people that I didn't even think had thought about female reproductive rights. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's it's not just about abortion. It's about a, a nation that says stop. You know, we're going too far. This is insanity. We don't want to lose our country to the church. Um, and I think that is why that is the reason why so many people attend at this time. Because if you offend um, the female population, you 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 might you you might think you'll have half the country there, but in in reality, a lot of Catholics obviously stay at home. There were so many uh, men present at these protests. So many families. 
that might have conservative values. It, they might overlap with the party. They might have even a lot of people voted for the party in 2015 that are now saying, stop, wait a minute, we're we're doing something messy here and we, we need to stop them. We need to let them know that they can't just do whatever they want. I wonder what you make of the argument that I presented earlier in the program. I'll, uh, I'll recite it for you again now. I think that the argument opposed to abortion in most every case is a very straightforward and convincing one, although I myself am not convinced by it. Mm-hmm. The argument is essentially as follows. It's the first premise is that killing a human being is wrong and should be illegal. Abortion, the second premise is then that abortion is the killing of a human being. The conclusion is that abortion then must be wrong and illegal. Which premise or or how do you how do you challenge this perspective? It seems extraordinarily clear cut. It it does, and I I think it's a, extremely easy for me. As I said, to me, life begins at birth, and um, that is why I respect the needs and wants of a pregnant woman over the needs and wants of a fetus that can't be brought to life yet. You know, even if we talk about abortion rights, they're actually a lot more strict than uh, they even should be. I I don't know the exact um, biological facts uh, in weeks, but I think in most cases where there is an abortion law, um, we tend to say that you are not allowed to terminate it uh, until a moment where actually the fetus would not even uh, experience any pain until a few weeks later. So we, we are actually very respectful of the fetus to begin with. I think the issue of this conversation lies very much in where do you think life begins? And what is interesting is actually, and I this is what I read, right? I think even Protestants and Catholics disagree on when life begins. I think Protestants believe that um, it's it's a it's a few weeks after conception. So And of course again, my interview has decided to stop playing. That's always my favorite. So let's see if we can't fix the problem uh, once more. As a religion. Um, but in either case, uh, like I was like I was saying before on the program, it's important to try to see how we can actually deconstruct the argument that we were uh, analyzing. How we can figure out a way to address the problem effectively and to piece together. Um, a critique of the perspective, or if it's not critiquable, then resign ourselves to the perspective that, yes, there's something inherently wrong about abortion. Joining me now, and, and I think we have the interview is back. interesting is actually, and 
you will still allow uh, for an abortion. Again, sorry for the you know? bizarre, confusing, and convincing one. Although but, I myself um, am not convinced. I'm bringing the uh, I'm bringing it back up as we speak. Uh, first radio show, fabulous. Always technical problems, but that's what makes it exciting. Next week we'll have these issues sorted out for you, and we'll be able to put together a much more, uh, much more impactful program. Enjoy. Conclusion is that. Abortion then must be wrong and illegal. Which premise or or how do you how do you challenge this perspective? It seems extraordinarily clear cut. It it does, and I, I think it's a, extremely easy for me, as I said, to me life begins at birth and um that is why I respect the needs and wants of a pregnant woman over the needs and wants of a fetus that can't be brought to life yet. You know, even if we talk about abortion rights, they're actually a lot more strict than uh, they even should be. I I don't know the exact um, biological facts uh, in weeks, but I think in most cases where there is an abortion law, um, we tend to say that you are not allowed to terminate it uh, until a moment where actually the fetus would not even uh, experience any pain until a few weeks later. So we we are actually very respectful of the fetus to begin with. I think the issue of this conversation lies very much in where do you think life begins? And what is interesting is actually, and I, this is what I read, right? I think even Protestants and Catholics disagree on when life begins. I think Protestants believe that um, it's, it's, a, it's a few weeks after conception. So if you, as a religious person, and me as, as an atheist, if you can't even agree on this, I'm sorry, if I'm just going to call it imaginary, pain of a fetus and there is no proof of it there isn't proof to anything that that you're saying i'm gonna believe a woman that is saying i don't want this baby because i can speak to her and i believe that she she exists and she doesn't want the baby i'm not gonna care about the imaginary pain of a fetus an unborn fetus because we can't prove by science that it can even feel pain is actually very likely to just not be true. I want to touch on two points um, that you've given in your response. Firstly, I have to disagree with you. I don't think this is about when life begins, or at least I think it can't be about when life begins. And let me explain why. Unless you are adopting a dogmatic religious position where um, God simply just told you, or, or through some text or some religious leader, what have you. There's some dogmatic position you've adopted in which you're just convinced that at some special moment life begins. It's actually impossible to really narrow down that, that moment, that moment when the fetus becomes a quote-unquote human being. I think there's a metaphysical problem here. Let me, let me explain in some detail. So let's suppose you try, to, you try to make it a time. So you say it's like 
four weeks. After four weeks of, of development from conception, the fetus becomes a human being and now is entitled to the rights we normally ascribe to human beings. Well, here's the problem with that. Fetuses develop at different rates in some cases, right? It's not all mm-hmm. the same. Like, just like human beings, just like, just like um, um, people after birth, right? Just like, uh, just like infants developing or even adults developing. Different things develop at different times and at different rates. And although there are patterns and trends, it's not really a clear-cut issue. It's impossible to lock down a, a time of a certain stage of development. So then you might say as a response to that, well, let's just call it a stage of development. Then it's not a time. It's about how far along the fetus is in developing some property. Well, to which I would then respond that essentially, uh, number one, we'd have to be very careful about the property we pick because, quite frankly, if you look at – you take a case study like uh, veterans coming home from war, you know, we don't think a veteran isn't a person because they've lost a limb, right? So, so like just, just having a certain number of parts isn't normally what we think of as making you a human being. So we'd have to pick something very specific like let's say a heartbeat. But then if you even isolate that trait – that thing itself develops in stages. Everything is developing progressively, incrementally. It's a metaphysical problem of continuity. Where do you draw the line? You can't. And in a case like determining when something is living or when something isn't living, I'm going to give this one to the pro-life folks. You need to err on the side of caution. Would you agree with me in what I've said? All right, well, Thank you for that. And I think you made an excellent point. There is so much to say. And I think what I want, what I would like to clear up about my previous statement is that I'm talking mostly about the life of a woman. And I think you're, you're saying it exactly right. And I think if you put two Catholics in a room together, they could philosophize about when life begins amongst themselves as well. My stance in all of this is very, very um, realistic, existential. I don't have these beliefs that run deeper than what I see from day-to-day life. To me, it's all very much about the rights of self-determination. I, it's, it's even a very, and uh, you know, for me, I've, uh, I've joined pro-LGBT um demonstrations etc a lot of polls would call me an anti-nationalist i actually think that i am a polish nationalist in the sense that i want the best for my country and i don't want human right i don't want democratic backsliding i don't want human rights to be hurt so my position from all of this is yes you can you can um you can again you have all sorts of thoughts and philosophies about when life begins i don't think to me and a lot of people standing at those protests that's what this is about this is an entirely different issue you can sit and talk about what life is for hours and we disagree we all disagree on on those kind of issues at the end of the day people want to live in a livable country and my country is starting to get less and less livable i want to help you uh, verse this argument well because I think it's perhaps one of the strongest ones we can make um, that we can make for the pro-choice perspective. What you're suggesting, I think, to put it to put it more formally, is that there's an important distinction between the debate of what is right 
and the debate of what the state ought to have the authority to do. Yes. And so we may we may we may get together and and argue about whether or not abortion is morally reprehensible or not. But in either case, even if it is, does the state now have the right to do something about it? To what extent, maybe this is the question we ought to ask, to what extent does the state have the right to regulate morally reprehensible behavior? It's commonly thought that it does in some cases. For example, we think the state should, most people do anyway, think the state should regulate, for example, rape or murder or mm-hmm. a violent assault right that that the state should should not permit such things such amoral actions to occur but yet we also sometimes think that there are many amoral actions or dangerous actions that the state should allow anyway and it's hard because you need a criteria to determine one from the other. And the problem is if you're convinced that life really does begin at conception and therefore abortion is murder, then surely abortion does fall under that category of things the state ought to regulate. So so why is it then that we shouldn't accept it as one of the things the state should regulate, assuming you think the state should actually regulate anything at all? Um, the trend that we've seen. Okay, so so what we're talking about here, it's it's essentially politics. You're you're talking about where we draw the line, and again, we can talk about this for hours. And what I think is especially important here is the the context, because yes, we we can agree on where to draw the line, we can disagree, and this is completely dependent on where you stand in life, how you were brought up, etc. What I I'm sitting here and what I'm arguing is we're pushing the lives of women to men. We're pushing the lives of non-religious secular people to the hands of Catholics. And even Catholics and even men have stepped up and said, this isn't right. We should all take a step back. Especially, um, I don't think I've, I've talked about this before, but... No, people my age, I'm 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 in my 20s. Uh they were the ones essentially to to organize these pro- protests and if if you would talk to a lot of people my age from from Poland, they have much more liberal views. It's not reflected in politics though because a lot of the people who who did see communism, who went through communism, who grew up with this idea that the church will liberate them from communism, they're the ones to vote into this. And it's kind of similar to the issue of Brexit, uh, which is interesting. It's this, um, it's the elderly, it's this older part of society that is voting for something that doesn't necessarily, it's not going to affect them. They just have these ideas that were formed uh, because of because of history, because of what, what, what came over to them, uh, what, what they went through, sorry. So... Yes, we can we can we t- we can talk about the philosophy of it all, etc. But I want to look at the specific context of Poland. I want to look at its history, and I'm saying it's it's wrong. I value self determination at most, and if we go through with this, if we let the church and as, as I said before, it's a process. So a lot of people are angry. It's not just that the abortion anti abortion law fell out of the sky for us. It didn't. It's been ridiculous for for years now. 
there have there has been anti-semitism has been brewing up again it's it's been insane and i think the protests just reflect people saying this is insanity wherever you stand in politics in life we're not going in the right direction essentially well i wanted to really compliment you on one of the points you made because i think it's a really important one it's this idea that when we're talking about democracy the example there's there's a problem with the kind of silly example i gave the majoritism the Mm-hmm. Seven people turn the lights, want the lights on, three people want the lights off. It's like, well, what if those three people are blind? Like, does it, does their voice <laughs> still matter? And it sounds like a silly thing to say in this situation, but I, yep. I mean something very serious by this. You're talking about this older population that's, that's still around, that's making its decisions that are sort of irrelevant to them. It's like, we can't mm-hmm. ask fetuses to vote, but we can ask people who actually have some relevance to not only the reproductive process, but are also like at an age and at a, at a stage in life when that's still relevant to them, what they actually want and need. That is what self-determination is about. It's about the individual or the group of alike individuals being able to determine things for themselves. It, And I think the point perhaps you're driving at, and it's a good one, is that in the that, that 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 democratic institutions can be used in undemocratic ways when the positions they're upholding affect a certain group of people whose perspective is not being weighted more than the than the general population so that's what that's a way in which kind of the the the, the majority can oppress the minority and that's really not really what we want in a democratic system Talk to me more about the specifics, though. The actual, you keep using the phrase democratic backsliding. How has that happened in Poland? And what do you think, what do you think is going to happen in Poland in the upcoming months and years? Um, so essentially what has been happening, the democratic backsliding has mostly been happening in the judiciary branch. So most of the what what came to the public what what um what the public saw what angered a lot of people was the picking out and shoving aside judges that don't agree with the current government and putting their own friends in courts and a lot of people believe that this is also the reason why the ban went through Another reason why some people thought that the current government was trying to defy democracy was because it was a bit of a sly process. Essentially, the international scene did not know about any of this having been going on. To be honest, I didn't know this uh, court case was even happening until three days before it happened because of COVID, because of everything else that was going on in the world. It was a very much... it, It was... I feel like they saw this as a perfect moment of, oh, people can't go on the streets because they can't gather. They would have to break COVID regulations to demonstrate. Let's do this now. Because as I said, they've tried to do it before. Uh, A few years ago, it was met with some uh, criticism, mostly from from the international scene. And I think also this kind of um, supports what what I said before, the people growing sick of it. Because almost exactly the same thing happened um, a few years ago when they tried to put in this ban. But now so many more 
people went on the street to pro protest this. Again, as I was saying, this and what going in the right direction. We're not. This isn't. This isn't right. So uh, yeah, that's basically that's basically what's what's going on in government. That's basically what's what's happened with the democratic backsliding. The judiciary branch. What I like to say about the judiciary branch is that if you let it slip too much you'll see the entire country slip because that is the gateway to letting corruption into the country uh, police violence the police has been um there there has there is a lot to say about their um involvement in the protest as well they've there are videos of the police um beating women beating um uh, people who demonstrate pro LGBT. So, so there's all there's already this idea of the police being corrupted as well. Um, so, so, so my point of view on the democratic backsliding is this is where it starts, and if we keep letting them do what they want, then it's a it's a lost case. And I don't want my country to become authoritarian, but I think if we let them continue, this is. This is what we might see. Um, as for the future, there is this inherent uh, rejection of leftism in Poland, and this again has to do with the presence of communism in, in, in the previous century. So people, if you just mention the word socialism or even leftism, it's people just immediately reject it. They don't want to hear it. They, uh, there is the, the other party civic platform, um, I, I do believe things might change, as I said, uh, over the next few years, once the elderly, and in the nicest way possible, once the elderly stop voting. Um, on the other hand, um, and this is happening, I believe, in the U.S. as well, there is this new, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call them Nazis, but from my own point of view, I would uh, neo-fascist, there's a new neo-fascist movement that we saw uh, in the protests as well. It, it was one of the scarier parts. It was um, it was essentially also why the protests at some point kind of died down. There were other reasons why the protests died down at some point, but a lot of people became very scared because there, there were videos online of uh, groups of men arriving in buses and basically terrorizing the streets, tearing down um, posters, attacking women, attacking protesters. So apparently there is some kind of neo-fascist youth organization or something is organizing itself that we don't really know the power of yet. Um, prob probably because, you know, because society or like the world is kind of standing still right now because of COVID, probably because these people tend to connect over the internet so we might and i'm i'm generally scared i'm generally scared of 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 the youth like i find it hard to tell you there is a very big divide there's this great gap between liberal polls that uh like to look to the west and have these ideas about uh, abortion and lgbt rights that tend to migrate away from Poland, and then there's these Polish nationalists, a lot of Catholics, and 
I don't know the numbers and I can't tell you what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that we're growing more and more divided. And that worries me. I'd like to talk a little bit about the police for a moment. Okay. One of my concerns with regulating abortion, and this goes with goes for a lot of things, regulating a lot of things in society, is that just, you know, as soon as you have a speed limit, now you need a cop watching people to make mm-hmm. sure that they obey the speed limit. Otherwise, there's no point. The law doesn't really exist because it's not being enforced. Laws only are meaningful because somebody's there to enforce them, usually with force and violence if necessary. Yes. My concern is that, you know, as abortions become more regulated, that what will happen is you're going to create a profound police state around preventing and punishing people for having them. Somewhat similar, I would say, to like what we would call the war on drugs, which has produced its own messy police state and institution. If we just didn't ban substances like that, if we just allowed people to do the drugs they wanted to do, we wouldn't need this prison system and policing system, and we we just wouldn't need the kind of law enforcement we have. So my question to you is, do you think I have a point there? Do you think that there is something dangerous, a police state that will be built in any place that tries to so heavily regulate um, the right to have an abortion? Oh, definitely. Oh, the police is one of one of the biggest dangers we're looking at right now, not just in Poland, but but pretty much everywhere. And the issue with the police in Poland is, and this applies again to other countries, uh, is that these people tend to take the side of uh, the side of, of of the right in Poland, um, which is, which is quite scary. They are willing to use violence against the people protesting pro-choice and people protesting pro-LGBT rights. And I think as soon as um, nepotism, corruption, etc. grows, as soon as we see even more democratic backsliding, we're going to see a more biased police force, which is, again, a very scary development. As a final question or as a final statement, I'd like you to I'd like you to make a case if you have one geared towards your fellow Poles who are Catholic, who are religious, who maybe think abortion is morally wrong. I want to give you the platform, the opportunity to make a case to those people that suggests why they should be convinced to support a woman's right to choose, even if they themselves think abortion is morally reprehensible? For me, again, that ca- the case lies strongly in the rights of self-determination and letting a woman decide. And I think all polls agree, not all polls would agree with me, but many of at least the ones that I know, and I know a lot of people that disagree with me on this topic, that Poland right now is its not the most livable country. I mean, there's so many migrants. I just don't think that allowing all these unwanted abortions is going to make our country any more of a happier place. Wherever you're coming from, whatever your views are on this, 
I can't stress this enough. You do not have a say in whatever is happening inside a woman's body. As a woman, as a woman especially, I find it difficult. I find it difficult to understand how how you could not empath- empathize with with that feeling. Maybe perhaps you have a you have a sister, you have a daughter that is not in the right position to have a child. To have a child be born in such a loveless environment. Use your use your empathy. Use the empathy that your church preaches. Put yourself in that position. Think of think of your think of your sisters, think of your daughters, think of whoever is in your environment. And this is a very emotional argument, but this is this is what lies closest to me. It is in nobody's benefit to allow loveless pregnancies and the awful consequences that come after that. And you know, I could go into philosophy, etc., but I just think that a lot of the people that have a lot to say about this aren't necessarily faced with the realities of someone who is in the position where they are thinking about terminating a pregnancy. So if I would have a conversation with someone, I would want a very humane conversation uh, where I do talk about feelings and consequences and the experience of a woman versus maybe the things like conception and the feelings of a fetus. Thank you so much, Olivia, for joining us on The Compass. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. You are listening to Rare FM, the one and only radio station of University College London. Here with Lucas Romansky for the rest of this hour. The program is The Compass. It's where we discuss the deeper issues in society. I really agree with some of what Olivia was saying there near the end of our interview. I think that morality is a kind of an experience. It's something we we feel. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way in which we engage with other people. And it's hard for me to imagine a dogmatic system like uh, that of the Catholic faith having any weight upon my judgments or my moral decisions. There's a number of philosophical problems I wanted to bring up today with the arguments surrounding abortion because of the technical problems we've faced. Unfortunately, I won't be able to address all of them. So I just want to conclude with a few important thoughts. It seems impossible, I think, to, re- to reject the premise that, that, an abortion, that, that, that a fetus is a human being. As much as that is often the route, um, the route that pro-choice activists and thinkers tend to go in practice, I just don't think that it intellectually holds much water. But that doesn't mean we should abandon the position. It means we should take a new approach. As Olivia was saying, we either accept and endorse a kind of society based on free individual choice, or we don't. The idea that morality ought to be determined collectively in such a fashion, that the society gets together and decides completely what's right and what's wrong, 
seems to stand in the face of everything we believe in in Western society as individualists, people who value individual liberty. And by individual liberty here, I don't mean the kind of nonsense free market gibberish that is spewed so often by political talk show hosts. The idea that maybe somehow we're all free if we all engage in a market economy or we're free because we can buy and because we can own our own business. I mean the real experience of feeling free, of feeling the master of your own destiny, feeling that you have the opportunities to fulfill your dreams and ambitions with your life. And I think that the trick with abortion is that it guarantees people the ability to have more self-determination. You take a situation in which a pregnancy is unwanted and the pregnancy is carried to term. The only outcome is going to be profound suffering, probably suffering for the child and suffering for the mother, perhaps both parents, depending on the situation. I don't know what it's like to have the experience of an abortion or what it's like to be afraid of needing one under the wrong circumstances. But I do have in my life some sense of alienation, some sense of feeling trapped. I think we can all relate to those things. And I think that's the empathy, perhaps. I don't mean to stretch her words, but I'm hoping that that's the empathy and the sympathy Olivia is driving at. The feeling we get when we feel like we're trapped in something and we don't have power anymore. We don't have autonomy. We don't have the liberty to do the things we need to do. Abortion is such an important issue because it is a moment of, it is a point of synthesis in which we directly confront our individualist values. Do we think that we really should have individual determination over our own lives and over our, our, over our own bodies? There is, of course, the moral dilemma, the problem that perhaps we're, we're killing a life, we're breaking our own moral code. But I think that's the price we ought to pay for the kind of society we want to feel like we have. It's the sad truth. We don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in a utopia, and there's no utopia on the horizon. But we can kind of, sort of, make choices that impact the world we do have. I don't know if a fetus should be looked at as a human being. I, I honestly don't, and I don't think anybody does. And by the way, even people who are religious don't know because their views aren't based on any form of justified belief. They're not justified in believing their religious views. They may hold those beliefs and may hold them fervently with passion, but that doesn't mean they're justified, and therefore the consequences of those, just, those beliefs are not justified either. As I described in the metaphysical problem, it's just impossible to demarcate when the fetus becomes a person or a human being or whatever measurement you want to use. We just don't have answers to those things. But we can change the lives of the people we know are here. And that is the point, I think, in standing up for a pro-choice agenda. Thank you so much for listening. It's Rare FM, the one and only radio station of University College London. I'm Lucas Romansky. Thank you so much for joining me this hour on The Compass. I'll be back with you again next week. That's 8 to 9 p.m. GMT next week.